Welcome everyone, I'm Tyler Kern. This conversation is a presentation of MarketScale, the platform for B2B community engagement. If you would like to facilitate an event like this for your business, visit us at marketscale.com to learn how you can get started today. Live Golf officially entered the sporting world this past weekend, introducing itself as a new and formidable challenger to the PGA Tour's traditional dominance, a reign that extends as far back as the early parts of the 20th century. 19 of the top 100 golfers in the world, names like Phil Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, and Sergio Garcia, have committed to joining this new endeavor, which is being financed by the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Saudi Arabia. Questions surrounding the ethics of joining a tour so closely tied to a country like Saudi Arabia have become a hot topic of conversation for fans, media, and players. Joining me today to discuss the impact of this new tour is renowned sports agent, author, and philanthropist Lee Steinberg, and Dr. Patrick Risch, the founder and president of sports consulting firm Sports Impacts and director of the sports business program at Washington University in St. Louis. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Tyler. Absolutely. So, Dr. Rich, I want to start off with you. Why was Live Golf created? What, what's the purpose of this new endeavor uh, in the world of golf? Well, there's a couple of different ways you can look at this. Uh, one thing that's been commonly talked about is the sports washing, quote unquote, sports washing, uh, trying to create and, and, and repair uh, public relations for the nation of Saudi Arabia. That's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is that there are uh, obviously, there are ways the PGA and the European Tour, for that matter, there's a typical way that these tournaments are played. And so this is trying to create a new way of thinking about golf with the shotgun starts and the three rounds instead of four and the team element of the competition. So th there is, if you're looking at it optimistically, a way to potentially create a, a new way of consuming the sport of golf. And perhaps this has an impact on the way we consume and watch other tours if they decide to to uh, uh, con not conform, but to change uh, elements and aspects of their tours to adopt some of that. So there's it's really two-sided coin, depending upon which side of the fence you lean on. Patrick, do you view this as an existential threat to the PGA Tour, or do you believe these tours can operate harmoniously, as Greg Norman has previously indicated? Well, it depends on details. I do think that it's possible for the two tours to coexist. And I think that ultimately part of the reason why this tour was created was, was in part to bring pressure to bear on the PGA Tour and to a lesser extent the European Tour to create greater competitiveness. We've seen throughout the history of sports when pro sports went from the reserve clause era where athletes had little free agency, the minute they were granted free agency, salaries skyrocketed. In the case of the NFL and the USFL, the USFL was short-lived, but when it was brought to the scene, it led to an increase in the economic benefits for NFL players. So I think that that's part of the motivation here, and I do think they can coexist as long as Live Golf is not trying to, you know, currently it's at eight events. If you have eight events timed appropriately during the year, you could see these two tours coexist. And I guess a lot of different aspects to this, I'm sure we'll get into it, but I certainly support individual players right to choose where to go but i also understand why corporate america want to cut ties with players that choose to go to live golf that's a that's a really great point and, and lee that leads me to to a question that i i would love to hear from you on and and that is it has been said by uh, an attorney representing golfers on both sides of this equation that free agency has come to golf would you agree with that statement that this is now a world where there's more free agency in golf i would Look, the PGA does not have a divine right 
to uh, regulate all golf in the United States or in the world. Uh, History is replete with examples of the old AFL that then was absorbed into the NFL, with the old ABA that then was absorbed into the NBA. Um, this is a free market economy, and at the end of the day, this brings more golf on television to golf fans. It brings opportunities for the golfers to choose. Somehow the PGA has been presented here as if it was some beneficent charitable organization that existed to enhance the lives of golfers. And they've had their own problems in terms of control and everything else. Let's bifurcate these two issues. Over here, we have human rights and the fact that nobody countenances uh, a country that killed Khashoggi and the rest. On the other hand, we deal with China and a whole lot of repressive nations. And we've got Joe Biden going to Saudi Arabia next week to try to reintroduce uh, relations. So um, it it is part of the, the um, immense amount of formations of new leagues that we've seen more television, everything exists. And so um, I don't honestly see what's wrong other than the human rights issue, but then you better apply that consistently to all the different countries that we do business with. So it, it seems as though uh, the people that have got involved, involved, people like Greg Norman and Phil Mickelson have been painted with that brush of aligning themselves with Saudi Arabia and with this nation that has human rights abuses on uh, on everyone's mind. So is it fair to cast judgment on the tour as a whole on the back of where it's getting its funding and as a result, judge the athletes that are involved? Lee, I'll, I'll, toss, you, I'll toss this to you first. Um, well, Patrick, I thought, made a good point about the sport washing aspect of this. This mm -hmm. obviously is an attempt uh, by Saudi Arabia to get back into the uh, good graces of, uh, of sports fans uh, around the world. Um, but having said that, how do we deal with the whole issue of China and the fact that those uh, Uyghurs uh, are, are in concentration camps? And how do we deal with a number of other uh, countries that we play in? This is great economics. It offers more uh, broadcast jobs. It offers more uh, opportunity. Uh, it, it gives free agency for uh, golfers. And we won't even remember 10 years from now that there was not a live tournament. Remember, we adjust very quickly to these new leagues. Um, it's just interesting that um, when golfers try to have the same rights as every other athlete, um, somehow there's a big pushback. Patrick, you, you brought up the sports washing um, argument, and that's that's a really interesting perspective because we have seen uh, other nation states like Saudi Arabia investing in especially soccer over in Europe, right? The Qataris own PSG, one of the largest, most successful teams in Europe, uh, as well as Saudi Arabia investing in Newcastle United in the English Premier League. Uh, you have the UAE investing in, uh, in Manchester City as well. And so you have all these teams that are owned by Middle East nation states. And now we are seeing this in golf. Uh, it, it, is this more uh, on, on Phil Mickelson for some maybe clumsy handling of the media and that's why there's so much backlash? Or is there genuine concern about 
how these nations are using sports as a way of whitewashing their reputations? Well, no question that Phil did not handle this well from a public relations standpoint. I'm sure if Phil had been a client of Lee's, that uh, Lee probably would have given him a stern talking to with how he how he handled himself and how he kind of expressed himself. But you know, again, I, I think there's two sides to this coin. Uh, it's such an interesting situation, Tyler. Yes, on the one hand, the Saudis, like other countries, Qatar even, hosting the World Cup this year, the announcement this afternoon, by the way, of which cities in America are going to be host cities for, for the 2026 World Cup. But Qatar, in winning the bid for the 2022 Cup, certainly there is a sports-washing element to, to that. At the same time, and Lee hinted at this, there is a degree of hypocrisy which frustrates me. Uh, when, when people were criticizing LeBron James during the China controversy a few years ago after the Daryl Morey comments, I mean, uh, how many American companies are doing business in China, for example? So this is not to say that if I were a player's agent and I'm representing a, a Rory McIlroy or a, a, a Zalatoris or any of these young stars and they came to me for counsel on what should I do, what should I do? Right, right now, if I'm a younger golfer in my prime, I'm probably telling you to stay put and play on the PGA Tour for a variety of reasons. But I also would take issue with anyone that's being overly critical of Phil Mickelson, of Dustin Johnson, of Kevin Na, of Bryson DeChambeau, because again, I want them to have the right to be able to make this decision, but they need to know what they're getting into. And okay, when you're getting the kind of payouts that have been reported, for Dustin Johnson and Phil Mickelson, maybe you're not so worried about what's gonna to happen to your future ability to earn endorsement dollars from corporate America, because certainly those two players and others, they're gonna see their corporate earnings sorely hurt because of this decision that they've made. But at the end of the day, they should have the right to make that decision. Patrick raised some really good points there, Lee. And, and when it comes to what motivates professional athletes, I'm not sure there's anyone in the world who's better equipped to speak on this topic than you are. So what do you believe are some of the factors that these golfers are weighing when they're considering joining the Live Tour? And, and how would you advise uh, someone who came to you for advice on this particular topic? So the key in any free agency, free market situation is to have the athlete prioritize what their values are before they go into decision making. And so that's how do you how important to you is short term economic gain money you get quickly? How important is long term economic security? How important are family considerations, spiritual considerations? Then how important is is winning? How important is the profile that you have, the endorsements, the uh, all these different values, including making a difference in the world, which could affect a human rights position. But, oh, my God, the most powerful nation besides us in the world, China is completely repressive and American businesses are over there doing business. Saudi Arabia, American businesses never stopped doing uh, business with Saudi Arabia. And, and heavily there. And now we got the president because we need oil over there begging. So the reality is that you go through all of these different factors and you've got to have a decision-making process that makes sense. And um, I mean, obviously for somebody, $200 million in cash speaks very powerfully, but that's a value. Um, no one can precisely calculate what the long-term effects are of involvement with this league in terms of brand. We don't know yet, 
how this will play out. So the athlete who's sitting weighing his endorsements, um, if, if your endorsements are for economics, you already have all this money up front. If brand matters to you and reputation matters to you, is there a taint to dealing with uh, Saudi Arabia that killed Jamal Khashoggi? And so you sit and weigh and evaluate all these issues. If I'm Tiger Woods, the PGA has been very, very good to me. They stuck with him through some very tough times, uh, a couple different times. So I understand his perspective. And he already has a billion dollars. <laughs> from him, decision making, this elite been loyal. He has He's going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> all the money you could ever spend in a lifetime already. And so it just depends which factors are more important um, in, and, and to weigh them. And it's an individual choice. Patrick, uh, players like Roy McIlroy and, and, and John Rahm have been really outspoken in their support of the PGA Tour. And it seems as though they kind of lean back on that, that idea of legacy, right? And playing at the same courses where, uh, you know, Jack would play and Ben Hogan and the, the history of golf that the PGA Tour seems to represent. Is this, does this boil down in your mind to legacy versus immediate cash infusion? Or, or is it more complicated than that? Well, it depends on who you are. Again, as, as Lee referenced, you have some, the, the players for the most part, there are a couple of exceptions, but the players for the most part that have decided to be part of Live Golf are players that quite frankly are past their prime, but still are marquee names. And as any organization that's trying to build from scratch, it's smart to try to recruit those top golfers. Now, again, Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, Patrick Reed, these are golfers that still have have, have still have game and are still golfers that that likely could challenge for major championships. So again, a little surprising that they would choose to do what they've done. But again, uh, I, I understand why the guys in their 20s and 30s that are still truly in the prime want to build on their legacy because they're concerned about things such as you know what's going to happen in terms of our ability to compete for major championships, some of the other marquee events, there's not gonna be a single event on this Live Golf Tour that's ever gonna have the cachet of even events like the Memorial, Jack Nicholas's tournament that just happened a few weeks ago, or Arnold's tournament, the Bay Invitational in Florida, or the Players' Championship. Nothing that Live ever will do is gonna rival those events in terms of legacy creation, which gets to another interesting issue, Tyler and Lee, and that is the question of how are these leagues going to resolve this? Because remember, this has all happened very quickly in the U.S. Open, which is going on now, and the British Open in a month. They're going to allow these players to play. But if the PGA Tour suspends these players as they have and they can't earn points towards world rankings, then you're going to see a diminishment in the field of the Masters and the PGA and next year's U.S. Open if you're going to hold firm. So I think that's why ultimately, this is one of the side reasons why ultimately there is going to be a compromise here. And you can guarantee, as sure as I have no hair on my head, that you're gonna see some lawsuits before the end of this year from some of these players because of this blockage and restriction of their mobility of labor. 
Well, Patrick, let me follow up on that. The, the, the suspension of, of these players who have joined the Live Tour um, has resulted in a lot of talk from lawyers and from attorneys about antitrust and, and monopolies and things along those lines. Is this something that the PGA Tour needs to worry about? I don't know if they're necessarily worried about it, but I think that they're going to have to battle this in court. There's no question that that there will be lawsuits coming forward where I imagine individual players that have currently been suspended are going to take issue and are going to uh, take the PGA Tour to court. I have no doubt of that. And that's where I think it's going to be extremely interesting to see how this all plays out. Uh, again, I just don't, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know how the PGA can protect themselves from being able to say, well, we can pick and choose who's going to play. They can point to legislation in their bylaws. That's what they've done so far. But when it actually comes push to shove, this to me seems like a restriction of free competition. And I think that they're going to be up against it if it comes to a legal matter. Lee Steinberg and Dr. Patrick Risch joining us here on Market Scale. Uh, once again, if you would like to, to host an event along these lines or host your own podcast, visit us at marketscale.com for more information. Lee, let me come back to you because you started off with a really interesting point about the fact that, that the PGA Tour doesn't have a divine right to the ownership of the game of golf. Are there ways that the PGA Tour can potentially be more player friendly that, that can maybe appeal to players a little bit more than what they've done in the past? That's exactly what the existence of another league promotes because it makes the PGA be competitive. You asked about lawsuits. There's no question that this is the PGA dominance and then suspending players is basically a violation of antitrust law. And you might remember that Judge Kavanaugh took the position on NILs that that players had, had uh, the right to make a, a, a living and shouldn't be restricted. That's the same court that would judge and rule on this. And they will, uh, the PGA better be very careful in the repressive things that they do to try to defend themselves. First of all, it's so early in this build out that we have no idea how it will play out. And um, uh, second of all, you have a younger generation that is an important demographic. And for them, they don't know much about the masters. They don't know much about these things. There's an age uh, delineation here where younger people who follow golf don't have years of all this tradition. That skews older. And the reason golf's on television so much, if we are honest, is not that they have these incredibly dominant ratings. It's that middle-aged men who control corporations love to schmooze with golfers. <laughs> and so it's on a disproportionate amount. Check their ratings out compared to team sports or other sports. They're de minimis, uh, except if it's a totally major event. But they're on there because <clears throat> men who play golf own companies that have big advertising dollars and all the rest of it. So all this vaunted heritage of golf is really limited to a small demographic in the population. And so um, popularizing golf and making it more relevant and giving players more rights is uh, part of what happens when you have a competitive league. When you talk about heritage, 
people today don't even remember there was an AFL or USFL competing against the NFL. In other words, history for certain people starts today and, and will continue. So the point is that this offers all sorts of interesting possibilities for how golf is staged, how it's televised, what the events are like, adjustments, breakthroughs, creativity. Um, it really is sort of an exciting time in, in golf. It's not a challenging uh, time. Um, and again, I didn't know that the PGA uh, was handed a, uh, this divine right to represent all golfers by Moses uh, from God on Mount Sinai or as part of the Magna Carta or the Constitution. They're a business that has dominated and now they have a challenger. Oh my God, whatever happens in America that's equivalent to that? I mean, it's almost like the free economy. That's a, that's a great point. Now, I suppose, Dr. Rish, when you hear Lee talking about that, is that uh, that single entity that has controlled golf for so long, did that make golf maybe the ideal target for a competitive league to come along and to challenge some of these things? Is that why maybe golf was the decision instead of another basketball league or another football league or something along those lines? Well, first of all, Lee was using some of these references, including the Magna Carta. Since we want to make sure that we reach the, the Gen Zs and the Alpha Gens, we should say that it also came down from, say, Iron Man or Thor. So we make sure that we get that <laughs> Avenger that Avenger crowd. That's no, right. I mean, you know, look, there's no question that they were right. You know, you know, sport golf is a very traditional sport, and so you knew that because of the way they hold on to the the ideals of their history, that this was going to be a challenge. But you know, they knew that something like this would come down the road. And I'll point out one thing: that last year, for the first time, the PGA Tour had separate from prize money, they had a pool of money set aside for the most popular players. And whoever was the most popular player on social and digital media would get X, the second and third most popular would get Y and Z. So they knew that they needed to create some additional funds because there was these rumblings from many of the golfers about the economics of the sport and are the players getting their fair share, so to speak. If there's no other game in town, again, going back to college athletes feeling like they were restricted and couldn't profit from EA Sports using their name and likeness back in the day with college football, college basketball, they were restricting the opportunities. So they created that one pool of money to try to satisfy a certain niche. But again, that goes to show the fact that they even created that. They knew that there was an issue and they knew that players had an issue and they were trying to curtail the players that would go to a rival tour like, like Live Golf. But, you know, again, my hope is after some of these lawsuits come to bear, and especially if the lawsuits find that the PGA Tour is acting in an anti-competitive way, an antitrust, which I believe that they are, that there can be some kind of hybrid approach where the PGA Tour is still the dominant tour, but you can have a few of these team event style competitions. It puts a little bit more money and select players' pockets, and it also creates a little bit more fun for the consumer on top of the jobs that Lee's talking about for commentators and other people running these events. Absolutely. You know, nobody, uh, nobody, Tyler, objected when, uh, when our client Patrick Mahomes and uh, Josh Allen played against uh, Aiden Manning and Tom Brady. There wasn't like, oh my God, they created this other event. 
there are all sorts of golf exhibitions that have been offshoots. We're acting like this is the first time anyone has ever played golf in the United States of America, not at a PGA tournament. And the truth is there have been all sorts of golf exhibitions that have occurred and uh, uh, playoffs. And uh, the, re the reality of, of this situation is this is all about star building at the end of the day. It, we are a uh, celebrity crazy society. So the reality is one dominating uh, figure, Tiger Woods, uh, sort of brought golf back to m massive popularity. And, you know, he's at the end of his run. Probably the second best known golfer is Phil Mickelson. And so the truth is they haven't done a superb job of marketing these guys' household names. Again, the economics, if you look at the heaviest endorser athletes in this country, they're golf, but that's not because their numbers or demographics are so much higher. It's because wealthy men who play golf use their corporations to get closer to golfers and mm. that's the truth of the matter is golf has a big challenge in extending its popularity to more than just this niche market and that's what they ought to be concentrating on winning over people who don't go play golf every weekend winning over of uh, uh, women and other fans that 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 ought to be if I was advising them, that would be the nexus. How do we expand this sport to greater popularity? Not how do we have an internecine strife uh, between two leagues? I mean, one thing we haven't talked about is this LIV, depending on how it works out, may popularize golf to more people. And it may be a net benefit to the, to the uh, sport. Um, Golf has never marketed their players except for Tiger Woods and back in the day, Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicklaus, you know, to be household names. Uh, but I guarantee you that the average American can name four quarterbacks in the NFL. And so their challenges as a sport ought not to be this inter-golf fighting. It ought to be to expand the brand, to create more of a pool, to, to draw in people that are not inherent golfers to watch them. Lee, is the PGA Tour in trouble uh, once we reach a post-Tiger Woods landscape? No, no, it, it, but, but its challenge ought not to be trying to control golfers. It ought to be competing for revenue sources. Um, and that comes with popularity and to popularize golf. Remember that vaunted tradition of golf didn't have blacks in it for many, many years and played at places that country clubs that didn't exclude blacks. Let's not uh, deify uh, the, the PGA. And the truth is to people who are in this narrow demographic, it's critically important to them what happens in golf and they talk about it and they live through for the rest of the population people telling golf stories is you know a major nut off <laughs> and, and um uh you know it's like fishing stories right if you're if you're big in, in golf so um they ought to do uh, uh the same sort of expansion <laughs> in trying to attract younger golfers and and broadening their pool and creating uh, 
uh, golf is more accessible to people because right now, essentially, if, for most of the population, they don't have the money to afford, you know, paying $700 here at Pelican Hills. Patrick, and just a real quick hitter, yeah. Tyler, on this topic, when you think about top golf has become one of the most popular recreational activities in this country. And there is kind of a group element to that, right? So maybe mm -hmm. part of the thinking is if you bring in something like live golf a few weekends a year, you bring in that kind of team group element and, 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 and dress that up just a little bit more, then maybe this helps people understand and appreciate the sport and could have complementary benefits to the PGA Tour and their ratings. That's a really, really excellent point. Guys, I want to wrap up by zooming out and looking at a little bit more at the macro level of sports just real, real quick. Um, like I mentioned before, we've seen Middle Eastern nations owning Premier League soccer clubs and other soccer teams around the world. And now we see the Live Golf Tournament. What are the chances we see foreign ownership of an NFL or MLB franchise in the near future? Patrick, you think this is possible? Well, anything's possible. I don't know if it will necessarily happen, but if it doesn't happen, I don't think it's because the NFL is going to say no. Uh, there's certainly, for most American sports leagues, there is a preference to have local ownership in that particular market for a variety of reasons. Uh, I don't know if there's a foreign owner that's imminent for the NFL, but, but if there is, I doubt that Roger Goodell or whoever's in that position across the various leagues is going to say, we can't do that. Lee, what do you think? I agree. Um, uh, but just remember, there are a massive number of multimillionaires, even billionaires in this country, there's only 32 NFL franchises. Hmm. So they don't come up very often when they do. There's major competition for them. I mean, the Waltons just bought Denver. Uh, it's You're dealing with high cotton uh, in terms of $5 billion for, for one of those franchises. But I don't think they'd have any inherent objection. And, and uh, Patrick's right, they do, the preference is local ownership, but the reality is people who live in New York own teams in Minnesota, and people who live in Tennessee own teams in Cleveland. And the re reality is they've sort of stretched that concept. Uh, and uh, I mean, frankly, the NFL is so successful that um, because of their television contracts, it's impossible to lose money uh, owning one. And they're giving out contracts because they have the money to give it out. Because look, the last TV contract, you would think in a cratered economy with a pandemic on, that this would not be a promising time for the NFL to negotiate a new 10-year television contract, right? Well. All that happened is that CBS and uh, uh, CBS and Fox uh, raised their offer for the past bid by 83%. So we're rolling in television money. So it's why there's massive competition anytime a NFL franchise comes up for uh, ownership, and and usually they just keep it in the family. Excellent, excellent stuff. Lee Steinberg, Dr. Patrick Risch. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being here today and discussing uh, this topic. I'm really interested and intrigued to see where this goes from here, and it's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, Lee. 
Absolutely. And everyone out there, thank you once again for joining us here on Market Scale. And again, I'd like to remind you, if you'd like to facilitate an event like this, a roundtable conversation, or have your own podcast for your business, visit us at marketscale.com to learn how we can help you get started today. And everyone, thank you once again for joining us here on Market Scale for this conversation around the Live Golf Tour. It's been a pleasure having you along with us. Until next time, I'm your host, Tyler Kern. We'll talk to you again soon.